I pray that you got a, or trust you got a bulletin and uh, insert uh, that because there wasn't enough room on the inside for the outline for this morning, at least has put the part of the sermon of Deity's Declaration on the insert and so you can follow along there and there's some little fill outs and blanks there to fill in if you if you wish have a pen and follow along there who can remember what the sermon was on last week is that testing you too much <laughs> the door remember the door I am the door uh, that men might be saved and today we continue the thought on I am the door and we look at the tabernacle the tabernacle in the Old Testament was a very impressive structure it was a structure that was put together by nomadic people in the wilderness that's pretty incredible in itself isn't it no lathes no milling machines nothing like that <laughs> no furnaces but they made this tabernacle with all the gold and the the intricately wrought things in the wilderness. They put this together. Um, <clears throat> we, if you've read about it, it's in Exodus there that they were given the instructions. There was the outer fence, we might say, or <laughs> the outer curtains. It was 150 cubits by 50 cubits. It was a rectangular shape and it was five cubits high and this outer court and the curtain was made up of fine linen that was put together in the wilderness too a lot of stitching uh, to happen that's 45 meters by was it 45 meters by 27 no no sorry 22 meters wide that's a lot of knitting or whatever they did and however they did it by two and a quarter meters high and this fine linen is a picture of the righteousness of saints according to revelation 19 and verse 8 and so as the nations that were around looked on at these wandering jews with all the order they had the tabernacle was right smack in the middle of the, tri the tri tribes three tribes on each side and this was a central place and God wanted it to be so because he is to be front and center of God's people in our lives as well and there's a, there's a multitude of things we could look at there's been books written about the tabernacle the sizes the colors the the metals the materials the sacrifices the systems that were set up the furniture we could all consider each one and it deserves a whole study in itself weeks of study but today we carry forward the thought of the door the door let's turn to the book of exodus if you take the fill-in sheet first and you'll find their deities declarations i am the door that men might be saved as we looked at last week serving and sanctified <clears throat> there were three openings to this tabernacle the main one that you came through and the second one and the third one the third one only one one person went through once a year the outer one as many as would could come 
the middle one was restricted to those serving in the tabernacle. Exodus, Exodus chapter 26 and 27 we'll be looking at. <clears throat> Let's start with chapter 27 and verse 16. And think about it as we consider it and notice the order in which they're given. In verse 16 of 27, And for the gate of the court shall be an hanging of twenty cubits, of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen, wrought with needlework, and their pillars shall be four and their sockets four. This is one of the opening Openings, it's called a gate. If you go back to chapter 26 and verse 36. And thou shalt make an hanging for the door of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen wrought with needlework. So this is called the door. The other one was called the gate. These are different entrances these are different openings and then you go to chapter 26 and verse 31 and thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen of cunning work with cherubim shall it be made what is this one called the veil so it's the gate the door and the veil notice the way we were looking at them we started chapter 27 and we went to chapter 26 we this morning went the way we would go we started on the outside you'd come in the say come in the driveway of the church then you come in the door of the church then you come in at sanctuary some people call it the army hut <laughs> that we have here <laughs> renovated but and, and you can that's the way we would come in but God gave them in a different order. The significance to everything that's in Scripture. Why did he start at the veil? In verse 31 of 26. Then he went to the door. Then he went to the gate. Because that's where he is. He's in the center, isn't he? And he's going out from the Holy of Holies outward to the people. The people were coming in toward him. And this is what we find. But there's something else that you noticed, I pray, as we read those verses. Before we look at them, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word that it's so accurately and diligently given, inspired by the Holy Spirit. We today can take um, much application from these truths that were written thousands of years ago, but do apply to us today. Lord, I pray that you bless our hearts the ministry of the word by the Holy Spirit in Jesus name. Amen. <clears throat> what did you notice about verse 31, 36 and 16 in the next chapter about these coverings and you look at that little sheet that's been given in the bulletin if you haven't got one maybe there are still some out the back there. The hangings are all of blue, of purple and scarlet and fine twine linen. They are the same in the hangings. What do they picture? 
as we move from the outer court, from outside the court, where we are as non-believing people, as we move into and through the gate, we find some things that they picture. Well, the blue pictures the divine son, the divine son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this corresponds to the Gospel of John, as you've got in your little fill-in there. And it speaks to believers. He is, the Lord Jesus, is the perfect Saviour. We're just briefing through this really quickly. A perfect Saviour, that's what it presents. The purple, and as I said, we could go through all the details. This is just the colours of these hangings. The purple which was the second given in each of those three verses, it pictures the divine sovereign. Sovereigns wear the purple. <laughs> and this is represented of the Lord Jesus in which gospel? The gospel of Matthew. The gospel of Matthew. If we think of the first one, the divine son in John's gospel, I'm just going back one, and referring to some of those references there, in John 8:58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. There comes that saying again, I am. And in John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, this is back at the blue, the divine son. Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Is there any problem with believing the deity? <laughs> when those enemies of the Lord Jesus in his day recognized what he was saying, that he is God, made himself equal with God, that the Lord God was his father. And so, yes, he is the divine son, as it declared in John. Now, the divine sovereign, we pick up where we were at, the purple. Matthew 2, 2. The wise men asked Herod when they come and followed the star, they said, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And 27, verse 11 of Matthew reads, And Jesus stood before the governor, who was Pilate, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And what was Jesus? What did he say? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. Yes. <laughs> he turned it on him. He said, You said I was. <laughs> and that is so. I am king of the Jews. And so, he's the divine sovereign pictured in the purple. The scarlet, which is red, which is one of the colours of the coverings of each, the gate, the door and the veil. We have the scarlet red, the divine saviour. Pictured in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke 5.24, it reads, But that ye may know that the Son of Man, and in the Gospel of Luke, it's, he's referred to as the Son of Man, the divine saviour, 26 times hath power on earth to forgive sins he said unto the sick of the palsy I say unto thee rise take up thy couch and go into thine house and so 
speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ as a divine saviour, written to Greeks, the, the, the Greeks reading the Gospel of Luke would have said, this is my Gospel. <laughs> this is the way I see it. The Jews reading Matthew, yes, I see it that way. <laughs> but for, for us who are so far removed from the time, they are all, uh, we call them the synoptic Gospels. <laughs> it, you say, well, why did it, they repeat them? as it were some things are in one and not in the other and they're all written in that time to different groups of people and understanding that helps you understand the gospel that you're reading and the gospel of luke presents christ in all his perfect humanity a perfect man and that's what the greeks were looking for a perfect man they're all about, all about the, the the olympics <laughs> They're all about the races. They're all about the man that could run the, the best race. And then you get to the last colour, the fine twine linen. The fine twine linen, the divine servant. In Mark 9.35, And he sat down and called and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. And in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, and verse 42 to 45, if you'd like to turn there, we will turn to this one. Mark, chapter 10, verse 42. <clears throat> so as these people fronted these different, the gate, the door, and the veil in the Old Testament, they didn't know all what we know. We have the completed revelation. They were fronted with the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is. And later on the Gospels were given and we understand who and what they're speaking about much better today. Chapter 10, verse 42 of Mark. And Jesus called them to, to him, sorry, Jesus called to him and said unto them, Ye know that they who are accounted to rule over the Gentiles, exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority over, upon them. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. He is the servant. What were the Romans on about? Servanthood. So many people were servants in that day when the Romans ruled. And this gospel, Mark, written to the Romans of a perfect servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, all pictured in those different things. Now let's just get for a moment back to our main outline in the bulletin itself, <clears throat> looking at the gate the door and the way <coughs> I mean the veil <laughs> the gate the way of salvation you might want to fill that one out the way of salvation <laughs> as you went through this gate bringing your sacrifice to the temple to offer for your sins you went through this gate and unless you went through this gate, your sins were not covered. You must come through the gate. 
of the world's population today, the majority of people are on the broad road outside. They haven't come through the gate. In Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13, we have written here, I think we referred to it last week, Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. Enter in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be who go in that way. And every Jewish person, every family represented in, in those two million or more people that were in the wilderness there, must come with a sacrifice at certain times to atone for their sins. They had to come through the gate, the way of salvation. And it's no different today. We must come through the straight gate. There is only one way, as the verse behind me indicates. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so this is given very simply. The way of introduction as we come to God to meet with him in the Holy of Holies, we come via the gate. The second item of furniture that you come upon, or the first item of furniture, you come through the gate and then you come to a brazen altar that was just inside the, the gate, just in the outer court. And this was the altar, and this is where all the sacrifices were given. Can you imagine being in the desert sacrificing thousands of animals in one place like that. I can't imagine how they did it all. You know, the butchers today have slaughter yards and I've been in a few of them for for different reasons, working around them. And the amount of animals going through and all the the flies in Australia and the blood and the bellowing and, and everything else that goes on there. This is what it would have been somewhat like as people were lined up outside the, to come. Hey, you've got to come this way. In our scripture reading this morning in the book of Hebrews, if you haven't come, this, you've got to come this way. You, you don't have to bring a cow. You don't have to bring an ox or, or, a, or a sheep or a goat or a turtle dove. All those have been fulfilled, haven't they? In the Lord Jesus Christ. He's given his life. He is the perfect lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world for our sins. And as we read in chapter 9 of Hebrews, verse 11, But Christ being come an high priest of good things to, to come by a greater and more perfect what? What's the word? Tabernacle. <laughs> not made with hands, that is the tabernacle in the wilderness, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, He entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For those in so-called Christian circles today to say, let's get rid of the blood out of our hymns. Let's get rid of mentioning blood in the pulpit and saying we can come by our own works. They are under condemnation. They are displeasing God greatly. They are saying... That God's way is not on. My way is on. I'll do it just like Cain did in the Old Testament. I'll work my way to heaven. God said there must be the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. So we come to the altar. In the outer court also, after you went past the altar, there was the next item of furniture, the second item, which was the laver. Uh, 
and that's easy to think of. In, in the laver, what was in the laver? Water. The priests need to wash often. Need to wash often. And the, the Gospel of John speaks to this in chapter 13 of the Gospel of John, <coughs> where Jesus was girded himself, took a towel, girded himself with it, and served, ministered to the disciples. He'd risen from supper in verse 4 of 13 and laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself, and after that he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then comes thee to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Dost thou wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Soon he would realise. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Jesus said unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. Can you, can you see the picture developing? The brazen altar, the blood was shed. They were washed all over from their sins. They come to the labour. They need to wash their hands and things, their feet if necessary, but mainly their hands as they were doing the service of the work of the Lord. And the Lord said, you, you've been washed all over, Peter. You, you believe on me, but you need a daily cleansing. As we were reminded this morning with our brother Miles, as he mentioned that we need to, First John 1, 9, confess our sins, to walk clean with him. Keep short accounts with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's the gate, one entry. The second gate, and we looked at this somewhat last week, or the second entry was the door into the tabernacle within the outer court. (laughs) And uh, this was placed there, and I I brought a tape to measure up. Someone saw me measuring. What are you doing? (laughs) Mrs. Dunn saw me measuring up the church here today. See how big this this was. And... The tabernacle proper inside the outer court, you know, 45 metres by 22 and a half is like the fence outside there. And then you've got inside the tabernacle proper and it's divided into two. It's 30 metres long and uh, <coughs> how much is that in, I mean, sorry, 30 cubits long. How much is that in metres? Divide, multiply it by one and a half and then divide it by a thousand or whatever <laughs> and you come up with the metres and uh, <clears throat> I figured it's about from the wall here to the first vent on the air conditioner there <laughs> it's not that big and the, <clears throat> the little room where they only win once the Holy of Holies was only um, 10 cubits by 10 cubits it's 15 feet by 15 feet by 15 feet it was a cube the, the, the way it was made and constructed and the, the one before that was double that size. So it's not that big inside as you go through this door. And this is to the way of service. That's a second feeling out there. <clears throat> the way of service. Does God, once we are saved, once we are cleansed from our sin, and we are washing ourselves by our confession to the Lord Jesus Christ, what does the Lord want us to do? He wants us to serve him. He wants us to minister for him he wants us to be his ambassadors he wants us to be his witnesses he wants us to tell others and so the door is the way 
of service. And Jesus said, as we looked at last week, I am the door in John 10, verse 7 and 9. Um, <clears throat> as you went through that door, you come to the table of showbread, which was on the right side as you walked in that door. The table of showbread. Turn to John's Gospel, chapter 6 and verse 47. This is the big picture, the, the fast picture of the tabernacle. Chapter 6 and verse 47. But each have an entry. That's what we're looking at, these entries, these openings. And we must walk through the openings to please the Lord and to do what the Lord wants us to do. Chapter 6, 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. This is the bread that cometh down from heaven, that if a man may eat thereof and not die, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh. And so as you come in there, you saw the table of showbread on the right hand, in the holy place, not the holy of holies, but the holy place. You went through the door, saw it there. And now it reminds us of the Lord Jesus Christ, the bread of life. On the other side of this, when you went through that door, was the candlestick. It was with the seven candles on it, ever burning, always illuminating inside there. And uh, <coughs> I mean, it takes little to imagine and guess who this represents, doesn't it? John's Gospel, chapter 8, and verse 12, we read there, Then spoke Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And folks, today, if you come by the way of the cross, the brazen altar, washing yourself daily by confession of the Lord Jesus and come through this door you you eat the bread of life the word of God sustaining your spiritual life and your life is lightened by the candlestick the Lord Jesus Christ we know we now as Christians know what's going on remember before you were a Christian if you, be, you you're an adult before you become a Christian and looking at the world and saying what's going on what's it all about once you become a Christian the whole thing opens up the whole purpose of life, the whole purpose of the planet, the whole purpose of countries. God gives you the light. And we can walk in liberty and say, what a wonderful thing it is to walk in the light of the Lord Jesus, who has opened his scriptures, given me the bread of life, given me forgiveness of sins, and now I'm walking in the light. Walking on to glory. We'll start singing soon. <laughs> but walking on to that song we sing. Where there is no night walking on to glory. Are you on the pathway? If you come through the gates, if you come through the door. But there's another item of furniture too. That's in this holy place. Before you come into the holy of holies. And that's the altar of incense. The altar of incense. Let's go to the book of Hebrews. Chapter 7 and verse 25. And this is another thing. <laughs> about the Lord Jesus Christ. Another picture of him. And we read there in 725 of Hebrews, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice 
first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once. Sorry, I'm in the wrong verse. 25, not 27. Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. What is the Lord Jesus Christ doing now for us? He's in heaven on the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. And that intercession for us is based on our prayers to him. You see, prayer is very important. The scriptures, the light, the bread speak to us. But in prayer, we speak to him. And we intercede for other people. We pray for our own needs. The acts of prayer. I was talking to someone about that this week. A-C-T-S. Adoration. Thanksgiving. Ace. A-C. Confession. Uh, yeah, confession comes up there top. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and S is for supplication. It's a very simple way to think of an order of praying. And as we come to the Lord, to the Lord, He's there. We pray through the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name, and He takes those petitions to the Father in heaven. All pictured in the tabernacle. The way, the gate, the door, and once you have come through that door, well, one more reference, and I'll see if I can get this one right. Chapter 13 of Hebrews and verse 15, to do with intercession. 13, 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks in his name. Let us do this continually. Let us come to the altar continually. Let us pray continually. Let us not cease to pray. You see, our prayers might not be answered this side of eternity when we get to heaven but they well could be answered because in Revelation chapter 8 Revelation chapter 8 verses 3 and 4 we read this and another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which is before the throne and the smoke of the incense which come up with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand there it is here this is poured out in a day to come and the prayers will be answered have you been praying for someone that's lost one of the friends one of the relatives one of the family members don't cease to pray keep on coming to the prayer closet and pray without ceasing as it tells us in first thessalonians 5 the fervent effectual prayer of a righteous man what does it say availeth much says james in his epistle and last of all we come to the third opening in this tabernacle and that is the veil the way of write it down sanctification the way of sanctification. And we come to the last item of furniture as you go through this veil. There before you is the ark. 
not Noah's Ark, the Ark that Moses made with the people in the wilderness. And on the top of the Ark was the mercy seat with two cherubim facing each other with their wings outstretched toward each other, faces, I believe, down toward the Ark. And this is the presence of God. This is the mercy seat. You see, God wants us to come to him. God wants to have fellowship with you, but he doesn't make it happen. <laughs> you choose to come. You choose to go through the gate, you choose to go through the door, and you choose to come to the veil right there, prayer is right there, <laughs> and visit with God and know the presence of God. God was present there. His glory was there. And it was an awesome place because God was there. And no man can stand in the presence of God. And you all know what happened in that day in the wilderness. When the high priest went in there to atone for his and his, the people's sin, they tied a rope to his leg, lest he be smitten dead in the presence of God. And if it all went quiet for a while, they'd pull on the rope to drag him out. Because he wasn't right with the Lord. You know, it, uh, it was a serious thing to be a high priest. It was a serious thing to do this. You know what? Each one of us a believer priest today. Each one of us can enter into the presence of God. Each one of us need to come without sin into his presence, cleansed in the blood of the Lamb. And that's what you're talking about this morning, Brother Miles, wasn't it? We, it's a serious thing to have things that we don't even think are sin. <laughs> Things we've looked at, things we've thought about, things we've done this week. It's serious. God is serious about sin. And the high priest knew that. And he took every precaution to save his skin from being smitten at that time. But for the person that's walking with the Lord and is right, right relationship with the Lord, it's a joyful matter to come in the presence of the Lord. It's a joyful matter to be there to talk to him. And to relate to him. Chapter 27. We've got to finish. But 27 of Matthew. This is in verse 51. <clears throat> you see. This is what God wants us doing every day. Coming to visit him. Coming to pray to him. Coming to read the bread. The word. The light. Washing ourselves in the laver. And he made it possible. He opened the way, as we see here, Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one. Well, fifty, verse fifty. Jesus, when he had cried with a, again with a loud voice, yielded up the spirit, and he cried, "Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit." From another gospel, and here in verse fifty-one, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain, from the top to the bottom, from heaven to earth. And the earth did quake and the rocks were rent at that time. You say, oh, earthquake just happened to happen at that time. No. <laughs> this was divinely arranged. And it wasn't an earthquake that split the veil. It was God himself said, now you can come into my presence. Every person that comes by the way of the cross, the altar, can come into my presence and pray to me and visit with me. The veil was rent. And the last ref reference we go to, chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews and verse 19. Chapter 10, verse 19. 
having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into where? The holiest, that's the holy of holies, this sanctified room by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. He is faithful that is promised. And let us consider. Notice the three let us's. 22, 23, 24. Let us consider one another to provoke to love and to good works. The purpose of the tabernacle was to paint a picture of the Lord Jesus. I pray that it's been painted. Go home and look at the verses. Add some others that maybe we haven't looked at. Many others. But have you come by the gate? Are you saved? Have you come through the door? And are you walking in service for him? Do you come daily through the veil? Enter the veil by the way of sanctification and, and that, those verses we just read in chapter 10 of Hebrews. Let us, let us, let us. Let us do what we've heard to do today. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. It makes it very practical when we see from Old to New Testament fulfillment of the Old in the New. You've made a way open for every sinner to come. Whosoever can come. And I pray that if there is one here that has not come by the way of the altar of the cross where Jesus died, may they come and believe today on the Lord Jesus. And then enter the wonderful aspects of service and all the different items of furniture that we've seen today and right into the very presence of the throne room of God where Jesus is seated on the right hand interceding for all those that pray on our behalf. He presents our petitions to the Father. O oh Lord, may we recognize there's power there in the prayer room. There's power in the closet. There's power to make God work on our behalf and not us striving to do it ourselves. May we come constantly, fervently and effectually to the prayer room those of us who are saved. We ask and pray your blessing as we part in Jesus' name. Amen.